Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. I think I'd also throw in there that a lot of people forget that the function of the minutes are also for the record of future boards and future leaders in that organisation to look back on why a decision might have been made at a particular point in time from strategy through to financial risk. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And once again, we have our managing director, Naomi Burley, and our regulatory expert, Carol Ferguson. Hello, Naomi. Hi, Carol. How are you guys doing? Oh, very well, thanks, Kwame. Nice to speak with you. So we're going to have a very interesting conversation, I think. Um, one that sort of breaks down into my mind is risk management in board minutes, although it's more complicated than that. And I think it really starts with this conversation between um, Catherine Livingston and Andrew Mole, I probably pronounced that incorrectly, and what was said or may not have been said in the CBA boardroom. So I guess just to begin with this, a quick summary on the situation and why this is relevant to record keeping. Essentially what's happened is it was a discussion um, that arose as a result of, of the Royal Commission into a he said, she said in relation to um, CBA's actions um, for Austrac, um, fund um, issues and Catherine Livingston asserted or asserts that she very firmly made certain statements as to what the bank should do and and they were not reflected in the in the company minutes and then Andrew Mole who was a director of, of CBA at the relevant time said that the issue was not even raised and so that it is now something which which ASIC slash APRA are considering and of course in conjunction with Austrac. So it's one of those things where what should and shouldn't be included in minutes has now come firmly to the to um, the top of everyone's minds and certainly was one of the early outworkings of the of the Royal Commission. Mm, definitely. Uh, it's one of the ones that um, I had included in a number of board briefing papers that we were invited to do. Uh, I highlighted that um, that it had been in testimony that was raised at director level and it appeared that no action had arisen um, as a consequence. And it's something that garnered a lot of discussion with the boards that I was presenting at because they have dual concerns about what's minuted and what isn't minuted. Um, you know, they don't want the minute detail and they don't want anything minuted that later on a regulator could highlight and and come and ask any sort of pesky questions about. So it was an interesting discussion that I've had with a couple of boards around that. Um, and I think it's an ongoing issue, but I think it's one that also goes to the heart of the ASIC um research into you know boards ability to deal with non-financial risk and to have those robust discussions and understand what's involved as well as you know their current work into the function of the audit and risk committees absolutely and look if we just start from the beginning everybody is aware of course that section 251a of the corpse act says that the company must keep minute books in which it records within one month the proceedings and resolutions of the directors' meetings, including the committees. Um, and they must ensure that the meeting um, minutes are signed by the chair of the meeting um, within a reasonable time. Now, Catherine Livingston, using this example, the minutes were prepared and she is the 
the chairman of CBA signed off on those those minutes. So mm -hmm. if there was a concern that she had in relation to the content of the minutes, that should have been raised within one, you know, shortly after the one month's time from when the board meeting was held. But the issue comes down to how, what is good practice in relation to preparation of minutes versus minutes that are designed to prevent a regulatory overview. And, mm. and certainly I think going forward, ASIC is going to be looking more closely at minutes and is expecting to see that on important regulatory issues at the very least, that the discussions um, in relation to how the board is going to operate, who is um, in favour of a particular resolution, who the dissenters are, et cetera, need to be reflected in the minutes. Mm. So challenge management going forward is going to be a very key issue for secretaries of, of various companies and tangentially, of course, the compliance department. And I think I think this issue of of non-financial risk and discussions around um, compliance and and other risk matters is really integral to the way the regulatory landscape is maturing and evolving. Um, so even if you don't come under the bear regime, you may fall under the far regime when it comes in. And this accountability idea, and we've always said the buck stops with the board, um, means that you will want to really reconsider your stance on the recording of robust discussion around these areas. Um, the ASIC initial report released last year was quite scathing of, um, of the robustness of discussions. It, it, you know, the lack of any kind of record of a discussion happening in that non-financial risk space seemed to indicate that either boards weren't having it or they weren't equipped to have it. Um, and so, you know, the absence of a recorded discussion is also either telling of a board's immaturity in this area or not revealing their sophistication. So it, either way, it's to the detriment of the board to not have something on record that they have considered these issues. And I think that's an important issue, Naomi, because I think historically people thought if they put too much detail in in the minutes and they were going to be chased by regulators. Now it seems that not putting sufficient detail in the minutes is actually going to be the problem. Yeah. So it's about turning around the culture that, that has existed in relation to minute taking and there, you know, the company secretaries of organisations have been, are under um, pressure through the government, through um, various entities, to, you know, including the Australian Institute of Company Directors, to change the way that they are actually approaching minutes but, you know, one, a lot of the problem is, as an example, that compliance people do quite detailed reports on both, on both financial and non-financial risk. Those reports are, are given up to a board and then compliance hears nothing. Mm. And for reasons that, you know, are beyond our understanding, they don't actually ask what happened. So, as an example, if, if you send a paper up, you should be expecting some sort of feedback from the company secretary as to what re what um, ensued. As a, as a minimum, you should request to go to the board meeting so that your presence is actually noted, that whilst the board can say, well, um, here is the paper from Ms XYZ, the contents of which are, not are noted, then your role is then to say, there are three actions in that paper 
for me to have authority to do X, Y, Z, can I please have um, your assent to my doing that? Yeah. So at least those those matters are then recorded in the mm. in the minutes. Mm. And and I think that that technique serves both parties very well. Um, you have an understanding as a compliance person that they've read and understood the paper because they've had to make a consideration. And they have on record that they considered these compliance issues. And if they say, no, we're not going to authorise this for whatever reason, then they have an answer for the regulator if later on they come on in and say, well, why didn't you take action on this? They have minuted and if not, why not? And it doesn't come down to he said, she said, or someone surprising you with testimony at a Royal Commission um, or a class action ensuing as a result. And and see, it's sufficient that the minutes just record that, there has been a discussion about a significant issue and and that the recording of it is raised in a particularly a non-emotive or impartial way so that you know the board discussed the issues in relation to oz tracking in particular a b c and d the board you know resolved that and then the actions and then you can if there are dissenters to that action you can put you know um affirmed by directors da da da, da and you know, uh, persons who were against the motion, blah, blah, blah. so that it's a very easy way of demonstrating who is who is um, in favour, who are the dissenters, and what are the issues that were actually discussed. But the critical mm-hmm. thing is, it must be non-emotive, and it must be impartial, and it must be something which is capable of being read by a regulator or by or being being challenged in a in a royal commission. I think I'd also throw in there that a lot of people forget that the function of the minutes are also for the record of future boards and future leaders in that organisation to look back on why a decision might have been made at a particular point in time from strategy through to financial risk. So at a particular point in time during COVID, you decide you are not going to invest in XYZ. Makes perfect sense. But at later time, rather than just going, oh, we thought about doing that once and just decided not to, you can at least look at the minutes and understand why that decision was made at that point in time and it might be appropriate to make a different decision later on. Um, Absolutely. And look, minutes aren't just a ticker box. You know, they aren't just, hmm. well, in every case it's going to look like this. But certainly for, for important or significant issues, it's really important that they convey the decision by the by the the directors who were present at that meeting, so that it will allow the executives who have to implement it sufficient detail so that they can go away and do what is necessary from a board perspective. Yep. But they also serve as as Naomi said a reference to a future board as to the decision making at that time. Um, the economic conditions change people move on, what was a priority for an organisation 10 years ago may not be a priority today. But it's really important that when somebody wants to revisit policy, um, product, etc., that the decision making that was um, relevant at the particular time is recorded. Hmm. Uh, is it is there a potential for maybe seeing some guidance coming from the regulator and maybe it's a general format of what minutes should look like to help uh, those boards? I, I would I would doubt that. Um, and I think that I think the guidance is is out there already in yeah. very broad 
form because I don't think you need to be prescriptive about this. It is very much horses for courses because there are a lot of organisations, big and small, that keep minutes of these. And you just have to think about what's going to be useful rather than avoiding what's going to catch you out. And I think that's where we've gone to. Um, they are really tedious to do. Uh, so if, like any report, you know, you have to look at the functionality of this document over time and, and, and clear the decks and have a little look at how it's handled. Um, similarly, if you're going to be a director, you know, have a little look at your minutes. See if they're useful for later on. If you can under, if you could look back at your minutes and hand on heart say, I can understand why we made that decision at that time and you're not relying on everyone's memory. That is the point of minutes, to not rely on everyone's memory. And, and equally, it's not appropriate to rely on a recording of a, of a um, director's meeting because there'll be a number of discussions that are fairly robust often within boards about particular issues, but there is consensus at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and often you'll have people who will take the opposite view of a particular resolution, if only to test whether there actually is acquiescence across the whole of the board. That's so, right. so recording is not helpful, but mm. certainly um, it can help the secretary perhaps in in the the formation of the initial um, draft of the of the minutes. But after that, the recording should be destroyed. Yes. And it's a happy medium between complete accuracy, i.e., a transcript of the the recording, and also, but the what should be included, which is. Here's the resolution. Here's for. Here is against. Here are the actions. And it's you can put in a little, you know, sufficient detail so people can understand what's necessary. But the actions component is really important, and that has to to be a major component of your minutes going forward, so that everybody knows that the actions are recorded and are then put at the front of the the um, next meeting, and so that you know who's who's responsible for, for what particular matter has then the obligation to report back to the board. Mm. Yeah, completely agree. The verbatim recording is unnecessary. So, so as Carol said, it's that happy medium of what's going to be useful going into the future. And, you know, I can't stress this enough. If you're on a board, uh, read the minutes before you say, yes, yes, they're all fine, because this is your chance to make sure it is accurately recorded as far as you're aware or the useful um, issues are included? Well, can I give you an example of a set of board minutes that was sent out to me yesterday, had a number of actions at the end of them, and my name was incorrectly spelt through the, for each of the actions. And, and I went back to the person who had prepared the minutes and said, you've misspelt my name. And he said, yes, because I wanted to make certain you'd read. <laughs> And, and I thought, well, that was interesting. Of course, he knew I would have, but it just shows how, how some people use these, these sorts of techniques to try and ensure that, there are, that people actually read their minutes. But, mm. you know, it's not about producing something which is a sophisticated, difficult-to-read document. Minutes must be clear, they must be written in plain language, and they must make it the issue that's being discussed um, aware for both the executives who are here now or the ones who are coming in 10 years time. Mm. So they need to understand what, if it was a risk, a non-financial risk issue, what was the non-financial risk? How had it arisen? Who had, had identified it? And what are the issues as to how the company's going to address it going forward? 
and mm. and there are a number of those sorts of ones if you look at cybercrime as an ex example and not just track matters but you know other matters which are coming up in that space it's really important that people are, ref are saying well here is the issue or if ASIC has put out a particular um, piece of, of guidance on a particular matter here's what the issue is and this is how we've responded does everyone agree hmm. all right well I think we're coming up to the end um, one thing I guess I'm interested in is from a GRC perspective how can a risk and compliance professional help the board do better when it comes to recording their meetings? Well, um, from, from a practical point of view, you might not necessarily be involved in the recording of, of the minutes, but as, as Carol has outlined previously, if the report you send up is very passive, then there will be, you know, the, the appropriately passive um, recording of it, so it's taken as read. If you need something done or you need a response or you want to be certain that they read and understood your paper, a bit like, a bit like Carol's minutes, you, you put something in there that they, need to, that they need to respond to. And if you don't get a response back, then you can ask further questions. Um, but our members are always searching for how to influence and get access to the board so it's not always possible to attend the meetings. Um, it may be that you don't necessarily submit the, the report that they want or expect or have told you in the way they want it, um, depending on your, again, depending on your access and how many layers of filtering you get in submitting your report. Particularly if you've got an external board of, of NEDs, I think it's really important that you do, however, try to get access to the board because it allows you to be there to, to take questions from non-executive members um, to have your views challenged, which is okay because challenge means engagement at the same time. And it allows you to perhaps put more firmly orally what you don't want to put in a paper. So you can mm. actually say, well, it's, you know, you can say in a paper, this is an important issue from ASIC's perspective. And then to them, you could say, if you don't do this, ASIC's going to come and take you away and put you in jail which is a, something you're not going to put into a, into a board paper, but which you might want to say orally. Mm. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Um, I'll make sure that when I do the show notes for this, I'll spell everybody's name incorrectly, <laughs> so make sure that everyone listens to this podcast. Well, you know, we'll be reading and checking. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.